sex research is something that we could all learn a lot from. And uh, not a lot of people are brave enough to do it, but we have a very cool guest today. That's Melanie Curtin. She's a sex researcher and she's the host of the Dear Men podcast, which I had the pleasure of being a guest on just uh, yesterday. So that episode will air soon. We had an awesome conversation about all sorts of uh, dating overseas and travel and yeah, so much to, to, to cover. And I, I think today will be just as good, I hope. So Melanie, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, you were telling me yesterday about some crazy sort of sex research you came across. So I'm really excited to dive into that. Um, but before we do, I guess, why don't you kind of tell us your story, how you got into being a sex researcher and starting your podcast? Yeah, so I... Um... I actually started out in New York City as uh, I helped co-found a nonprofit to stop sexual abuse in the Jewish community, specifically the Hasidic Jewish community. And one of my close friends was a survivor himself, and we co-founded this nonprofit and we trained moms on signs and symptoms of abuse, and we helped kind of educate the community about it. We also did advocacy for survivors that were actually going after their perpetrators, which is quite unusual, in fact. And through the course of that, I learned a lot. And I essentially then pivoted to how do we establish a safe sexual culture? Because I don't think that pathology is going to go away until we have a wider, a safe a safe culture where everyone feels like they can talk about sex and be empowered sexually, which we don't have in religious yep. communities and we don't really have in the secular community either. So I kind of pivoted from the pathology side to, okay, how do we proactively help people with sex relationships, dating, all of that. Um, so then I started working for a boutique dating company, dating coaching company in DC, and then sort of struck out on my own in Los Angeles and started my podcast, Dear Men. And I've mostly worked with men in my, in my life, uh -huh. <laughs> um, which I think is a little unusual. There's a lot of, um, you know, coaches that are the same, same sex as the people with whom they work and right. sort of taking a heteronormative frame right now. I, I work primarily with men who have sex with women. Um, and I think that there's, uh, there's a lot of power in that because I think a lot of men have had trauma and, or they've been shamed by women. So there's something healing about even just hearing from a woman who is genuinely sex positive and accepting, you know, I'm the person that people tell right about whatever it is. I'm the person people, people tell, and I've got a lot of space for a lot of stuff. Like you, you, you're like, you think this is the most shameful thing. And I'm like, Oh, I got you. Like, you know, I've heard that before. You're not alone. It's all welcome. And I think that's a sacred place to stand. It's a sacred environment to, to create. So I'm, I'm pretty pumped about what I do and I, I really love what I do. Yeah. That's uh, I've, I've kind of been that same sort of space, if you will, for a lot of clients and friends for, for whatever reason, I think people just have an easy time telling me stuff, maybe because I'm kind of an open book as well. Um, and it's, it's so cool when, when someone can just get something that's been like on their chest or really weighing them down and they can just say it and kind of let that energy go. It's, it's such a cool process. So 
exactly. relate a little bit there. Um, did you grow up religious or how'd you end up working with the Hasidic community? No, I grew up reform. I'm Jewish. I grew up reform. Same. I got, mm-hmm. when I told my mom, I wanted to get a bat mitzvah. She said, why? So that was an indication. The presence, come on. <laughs> right? well, that's an indication of how seriously she took, she, she took Judaism. She always said, I'm Jewish. Which this meant she ate a lot of lox and cream cheese and bagels. Um, so yeah, I was bat mitzvah and grew up reform, but that really wasn't my spiritual base. It was more of a cultural expression. Mm-hmm. And I think that like spirituality really entered my life when I was in my early 20s. And it was not specifically Jewish, um, more sort of overarching and mystical mystical yeah i can relate sounds very similar to to my past yeah um and and so what kind of had you interested in sex research and this whole area did you have like a high sex drive were you like you know what were you kind of like as like a you know a very young adult maybe like university what was kind of give us your background I'm, i'm really curious Yeah. I also, like you, lived abroad a lot. So I graduated from college and I moved to Geneva in Europe. And then I started, uh, I moved around Europe for a while. I was in Barcelona, was in the UK for a bit. And I had won a Rotary scholarship to study in Argentina. So I went to Buenos Aires for almost a year. And I so I, so many of my formative dating experiences were abroad, I guess what I'm trying to say. So from a very young age, you know, I, even in college, every summer I was going somewhere abroad, either Europe, or I went to Costa Rica. My aunt had a place there. She was a researcher and she studied, she studied jungle birds in Costa Rica. So I got to stay in the mountains of Costa Rica and lost my virginity to a Costa Rican guy who I'm pretty sure was lying about being a virgin. Um, I was like, well, how many women have you been with? And he said seven, but he couldn't find the hole. And I was like, I, I feel like that's not true. <laughs> but I was so inexperienced at the time. I thought maybe it's true and it's just me. And then later reflecting back, I was like, oh no, he was definitely a virgin for sure. Find the hole. But it was a great experience. And I really, I felt cared for. And I, I feel, I feel really fortunate in, in general in my sexual history, which I think is another reason I can be a coach for, for men, because I don't have a lot of sort of angerness, bitter resentment, um, rage against, against the masculine. I haven't, I'm not a survivor of sexual abuse myself. I'm not a survivor of, of sexual assault. And I think that there's a way that like a lot of that trauma has to be processed before you can actually really hold space. So yeah, in terms of the sex research, um, honestly, it just came out of my own curiosity. I was dying to know questions like, you know, how many men are good in bed? Like in actuality, if you ask women who have sex with men, whether they have sex with women too, but just women who have sex with men, men who have sex with women, like what makes a man good in bed? How many men are good in bed? Because I had a pretty pretty good range of experience. I'd slept with a lot of men by my thirties and, and, and I'd say that very few of them were really good. And I was wondering if that was just me or if that's sort of a universal, which we can get into. But one of the questions I asked was, you know, how many men that you've slept with are good in bed? And, um, I also asked people, you know, have you ever broken up with someone because of the sex? And I had, 
a couple of my articles went viral. I'm a, I'm a writer and I would embed my surveys in the articles. So I got thousands of responses because, you know, hundreds of thousands of people would read the article and then answer the survey. And the thing about sex research, the kind of sex research that I do is that it's anonymous and it's confidential. So people have no reason to lie. Yeah. It's kind of like a confessional. They don't have a reason to sugarcoat. Um, Oh, speaking of sugarcoating, that was one of my other questions was without any sugarcoating, what's one thing you wish you could have told your last partner about the sex? And that was fascinating because one of the things that kept coming up was women are really, really scared, to be honest with men about the sex. And that has really just fucked up a lot of relationships. And I was sort of reading through all of this just my heart would break sometimes of how, how difficult it is for us to talk to each other about what's not working sexually and even what is working, which also came up. But I think it was pretty eye-opening for me to see how much, yeah, just how much pain there is out there when it comes to this and how much unresolved stuff there is. And it also kind of um, was one of the reasons that I started my podcast because I really wanted men to get to be able to get insight into what it's like being a woman and, and, and just have a place where it, yeah, it is safe to talk about all that stuff and to listen to, to women being open about it, just to, to get more, more light, more air, more kind of communication going so that we can have better, better sex and relationships. Yeah. It's, um, it's always baffling to me, the number of guys who tell me, cause I work with guys obviously, and have a a ton of data points just on clients I've worked with over the years. Um, and I think guys are reasonably honest with me given we have this coaching relationship, but they typically, when they start, tell me they're, they're pretty good at sex. And then when they learn some of the, they see the gap, I guess. And then they realize, wow, I was really shit at it. Um, and these are guys who are actually willing to confront it, which is like the, <laughs> the creme de la creme. So if you look at probably the average, it's gotta be just abysmal. So, um, I'm really curious about the data and, uh, where should we start? Should we start with the the study that we talked about yesterday in terms of, um, reasons why, what was the reasons why the, uh, or who was responsible for the, sex not working the uh yeah you tell me you tell me let's let's (laughs) let's get into the data yeah let's start with um let's just start with that question of how many men are are good in bed because i think that's a bit revealing of the rest of it uh so yeah so i asked women how many of the men you've slept with were good in bed and i have a pie chart here that you can't see so i'll explain it but essentially um about 70 plus percent of men are not good in bed. And um, essentially the way it broke down was that (laughs) a third of women said 90% of men are not good in bed. So there's this kind of magical 10% of men that are good in bed. Mm -hmm. And that was um, what I sort of focused the rest of the survey on was, okay, for the men that were really good, for you, what, what was it that they did? How did they, how did they do it? So I didn't spend most of my time on the men that weren't good, although that did come up. Um, and essentially, (laughs) uh, so I teach a, a course on this and 
in the course, one of the images is, you know, those word pictures where there's like a really big word in the center that keeps coming up that people keep saying one of the, um, when the question was what, what was it that wasn't working for you? That wasn't good. Fast and rough were huge words, right? Fast and rough. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) I think that's jackhammer style. Yeah. Well, not even just with a man's cock. We're talking about, so I broke it down by like hands and mouth and intercourse. And I think that what's part of what's going on is um, men, a lot of men are watching porn and thinking that that's real. And a lot of men are watching porn from a really young age. So they're, they're, they're learning, they're quote unquote learning about female anatomy or female turn on in a way that's completely inaccurate. And they really truly believe that that's, that's true. So porn, it's sort of like, he takes her panties off and he starts digitally penetrating her immediately. And that is not actually pleasurable for most women. And I would say that's most of the men that I've hooked up with, like that has been their MO. And I read this research once and could never find it again, but basically it takes men about seven minutes to come to full arousal, full physiological arousal, right? All the blood is there. All the systems are go like they're really ready. And it doesn't take women 14 minutes, which would be double the time. It doesn't take them 21 minutes to be triple the time. It can take them up to 45 minutes to be fully aroused. And that doesn't mean that you're in bed that whole time, right? That can be dancing, right? But any, anything that's leading up to arousal, right? She's getting excited. She's getting turned on. So it's way too fast. Like most sex is just way too fast for women. And so they're not wet by the time they're being digitally penetrated, for example. And so it hurts. And that was one of the things that came up in the research was when I asked people about their top sex problems, um, like 65% of women mentioned pain, that it hurts. And less than 2% of men mentioned that. For men, the problem was more, I'm starving. Like I need more sex. I'm starving. I'm experiencing starvation, essentially. I wish I had more of it. I don't know how to get more of it. I feel rejected by my partner. You know, there were a host of other, other issues as well, but there was this sense of I'm dying of thirst. And for women, it, it, that didn't show up as much. What showed up was it hurts. And the thing is, if you're having sex with someone and it hurts, you don't want to have more of it. So there's this vicious cycle that happens, which is he's not really taking enough time with her and she's not really turned on by the time they're having sex. She's doing it because she wants to please him or because she wants the relationship to be okay or because she cares about him and wants him to have a good time. She's not, she's not able to say, ow, that hurts. That's painful. And, and he's not inviting that out. And so there's this downward spiral, which is exactly the scenario I was in with an ex-boyfriend. We started sleeping together and he was a good kisser, but he was really rough with his hands. He was way, way too much pressure, just, just too rough with his hands, which like I said, the vast majority of men that I've been sexual with have, have been like this. And I never said anything. I never said, ow, that's too much. Like, could you, I did at some point say, um, Hey, I would love like a lighter touch, like less pressure because it, it, I, my click like gets numbed out. Like my, 
my tissues get numbed out. And what I didn't say was it, it actually hurts. What you're doing hurts. And I think you're bruising me because by the time we would get to penetration, it wasn't pleasurable because I think I was bruised. And I think that happens actually to a lot of women. So anyway, I didn't, I didn't tell him. And, and the one time that I did speak up, he adjusted for about two minutes and then he went back to the way he'd been doing it. And that also showed up in the research a lot, which was when, when I asked people, you know, have you ever talked to your partner about this? Have you ever communicated about this? A lot of women said I've tried and he adjusted for like about a minute and then went back to the way he'd been doing it. Or he adjusted for that one encounter and then went back to the way he was doing it before in our next encounter. And I didn't want to feel like a nag. I didn't want to nag him. I didn't want to feel like I was being difficult or too much. So I didn't say anything. And so what the research is showing is that a lot of women will just grin and bear it and not actually speak up, even if something hurts. It's really, it sucks, I guess. I don't know what to say about that. It's, it's just shitty that people have such a struggle to communicate and it's such a sensitive area, you know, and it's really tough to tell someone, especially that you're maybe having sex with the first couple of times. It's awkward, you know, to, to give them. And it depends on how someone's going to receive that. Some people are really open to feedback and a lot of guys are very kind of macho. And that's the last thing they want to hear is, you know, they're doing it wrong. And so, yeah, it's a very difficult um, problem to, to solve. And, and yeah, that, that really makes a lot of sense and totally explains that common usual U S marriage in a sense, you know, the guy is always wanting sex, but he's never getting it. Um, Maybe if he's lucky on his birthday, as you said, he's starving for it. She's feeling guilty about not giving it um, that, that narrative, I guess. And um, it's, uh, it's, you know, I think it ruins relationships. I mean, there's once I had, luckily I only had one relationship where I felt like I was starving for sex. Um, but that was the worst relationship I was ever in. <laughs> so, like there's yeah. nothing more, um, emasculating than not being able to get laid by your own girlfriend. Like, <laughs> it's just, yeah. and there's so many guys out there that that is like the only thing they know. Right. And yeah. it, that's always like mind boggling to me. Um, yeah, I've definitely worked with a lot of a lot of clients who are or were stuck in sexless marriages. And I think there's a, there's a sense of desperation and also helplessness, like a sense of powerlessness that's unique to that particular situation. It just feels like you're stuck and it feels like you, you can't get out of it. I've seen many men get out of it and I've helped coach them through that process, but it's really, it's painful when you're inside of it and inside that pattern. And I was going to read a couple of quotes from the research because, you know, I think what you and I talked about yesterday was the um, question I asked people of, have you ever broken up with someone because of the sex? And this was, um, this was one of those research questions that surprised me. The answer surprised me, which I think is fun when you have a hypothesis, you think it's going to pan out and then it completely takes you by surprise. So have you ever broken up with someone because of the sex? 49% of men said yes, which didn't surprise me at all because I think we've all been taught that sex is really important to men and, you know, they need it and all this stuff, which is true. Um, and so I was expecting the women's number to be like half, like, okay, 26% of women, something like that. It turned out to be 
61% of women said, yes, I've broken up with someone because of the sex, including marriages. And then there was a 3% other number that had, that people had filled in that women had filled in. And most of them were saying, I've never done it before, but I'm thinking about doing it now. So I actually think it's closer to 64% of the participants that said that. And I pulled out a couple of quotes from what women said. One said, I think my bad sex life with my boyfriend may break us, but he seems totally satisfied. And then this one said, I wish I could have made him see that it was so important for him to be more open and gentle with me that he would lose me if he didn't change. By the time I decided to leave, I wasn't even even open to trying with him anymore. And I think it's important to note that word gentle, that that comes back to what we were talking about of too rough and too fast, whether that's with your cock or your fingers or your mouth, really any of it is the pressure. And it's like when the pressure is too much, too fast, it's, it hurts. It hurts. And I, I, it doesn't seem to be the other way, the other way around. I remember hooking up with men several times and sort of giving them a hand job and being like, is this too much? I feel like this is too much. And they were like, Oh no, you can do whatever the fuck you want to do. Like I jack off is like crazy pressure, like right away. And I'm like, I would be in so much pain if you did that to me. And I think that Again, that discrepancy between just how long it takes for women to to get aroused, for a female body to get aroused, however you identify as your gender, for female genitalia to get aroused, it just takes longer. It takes longer. It takes more and need less pressure to start with. And that just kept coming up again and again and again in the research. And I think it's something that it's 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 challenging for men to um to, to internalize. But what I've seen is the guys that take my course again and again, come back and they say, Holy shit, it worked like better than I could have imagined. I never realized, you know, that this is how to do it. You know, what did one woman say? She was like, wow, I had no idea you were going to be as good at that as you were. And I think this was oral sex, something like that. And he, and he didn't say this to her, but to me, he was like, I definitely wasn't always <laughs> as, good, <laughs> as good as I am now. And the responses, because, because it's so hard for women to speak up, which we'll, we'll get to, because it's so hard, he had not really heard women say before this isn't working, but he wasn't getting the kinds of responses he was getting from this woman, right? The moaning, the, the, the writhing, like the experience of a woman who's in her pleasure is a very different thing than a woman who's just trying to sort of, um, get it on with her, get it over with her, bear it. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or not hurt his feelings. Cause what happened right. was I, I basically was like, okay, well, it seems like the simple solution would be women should just speak up. Women should just be brave. They should just tell men what's going on. They should say, ow, that hurts. They should, they should tell men the truth. And I have found that extremely challenging to do in my sex life. And so I started asking women about why, like, why, you know, didn't you, because basically what I said was, did you speak up with, with partners? If not, why not? What was your, what was stopping you? And basically it was, it was fear. And there were sort of four different reasons that she was afraid, um, to say something. And the first was 
this is, this is mine. This is what I'm always afraid. A man will say, if I say something like, Al, like that kind of hurts. Can you, can you be more gentle? Can you go lighter? I expect him to say, oh yeah, you don't like how I do it. Well, fuck you then you stupid cunt. Like, I'm like very, I like totally think that all men will attack me really? and that's okay. based on my own like family background, not having to do with men, but just in my family, if you criticized someone you were lashed out at, there was no challenging of, you know, my mom, like that was not ever to be done. So it was like, this I also is have really, a Jewish mom. So I know how that goes. <laughs> this is going to go really poorly for me. If I say anything that's construed as criticism, I will right. get attacked. Like I will, I will get attacked. And I really, I think that some people will. Right. But a lot of people won't. And, um, I pulled out some quotes of, of this one, of the, of this fear. This woman said, he was so emotionally fragile that if I tried to redirect him or tell him what I needed or wanted, he would get hurt and then bring up what I said in public to shame me. Oh God. And I was like, holy <laughs> shit. That's like, like that would be like, if in public, my, my boyfriend was like, Oh, well, Mel likes it soft. And I was like, Oh my God, that's basically my worst nightmare. Right. That's like, that's like hell. And this other woman said, there were times I asked him to go slow, but didn't say it's because it hurts. Somewhere along the way, I did start saying it hurts, but he took it really personally. He said, what's wrong with you? You don't like sex? It ruined our relationship. So that's that's one reason that women don't speak up. And the other reason is that um, this, this showed up a lot in the research was actually probably more than the first one is women were terrified if I say something, you know, if I say like, I really need it more gentle, like slower, more gentle, that the man would just say nothing, withdraw, stop Mm -hmm. trying and leave. Hmm. Like he wouldn't attack and he wouldn't shame, but he just sort of go away. Interesting. And and I think, I also think that that is true. You know, that, that happens. This woman said, I'm not afraid he'll attack me or anything. I'm just afraid he'll turn away and never come back. And, and that's also, that's terrifying, right? So if you imagine being a woman, you're, you're, you're there, you're receiving, you know, he's, he's fingering you, right? He's using his hands. You're in pain. It doesn't feel good. Um, but you're so scared. Shit. If I say something, if I speak up, I'm going to lose him. I'm going to lose him. You've already, you've already invested so much time and energy into getting to that point, into feeling comfortable enough to get naked and, and to fuck. And, you know, depending on your level of sexual experience, that could be very few far times in between, you know, it's, it's, and I think the least, the the fewer partners you have, the less likely you're going to be able to speak up and communicate. Cause of course it's, you know, a lot of this is just based on your comfort and, and your, your sort of rep, the, the amount of time you've been in that situation. So it's even worse when you have you know, maybe two people who haven't had sex in a long time, they're, they're just kind of lucky to have found someone that they clicked with, gone on a few dates with, maybe they haven't had sex in a year or two. Of course, there's just too much writing on saying something wrong and having that blow up. So, right. Or you're in a relationship with this person and you're falling even more deeply in love and you're getting closer emotionally. And this part isn't working, but you're like, fuck, if I fuck with this part, I could lose everything. Yeah. So stakes become even higher as you're getting closer or say you have children now or you're in a marriage, right? It compounds because it's hard to speak up at the beginning. And then it's arguably even harder as you go. 
So yeah, sort of like, sure. so have you been lying to me for the last two years mm-hmm. about our sex? Like, k- kind of. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. I was yeah. really fucking scared. Mm-hmm. Um, so another thing that women are afraid of is my last girlfriend was way easier and less work than you. You're broken. Mm-hmm. And that word broken showed up repeatedly in the women's research, never showed up in the men's research. This is, it seems to be a uniquely um, female problem Mm -hmm. that I think is like, I can't orgasm. I'm broken. Um, Right right now, the research is, it's about 70 to 75% of women don't orgasm through vaginal penetration. They don't orgasm through full sex. Um, through intercourse. And that's a shitload of women. That's a lot of women. And some women feel like, oh, well, other women can do it. I should be able to do it. I'm broken. Something or, wrong with me. Yeah. Yeah. Or anorgasmia, which means the inability to have an orgasm is prevalent in women. It exists in men as well, but it's a lot less prevalent. Um, yeah. Just the, the idea, like I'm broken. There must be something wrong with me because I'm not getting turned on with this man. When often it's not actually about her. It's about his, his technique. It's about his, you know, too much, too fast for the female body is not pleasurable. It actually, it actually hurts. So it's, it's almost like the opposite of what you want, right? You want her to be turned on. And instead she's kind of clenching and crunching her body. And what you want is the reception and the, the openness and the relaxation and the availability and all of that, all of that. And what's really interesting is that in terms of arousal, you know, what you do at the beginning of an encounter with a woman, like the pressure you're using should be very, very light, like touching her gently over her clothes. Like all of that is like getting her body ready. It's like an on-ramp, right? So if you're cutting straight to the freeway, you're going to crash. You have to have the on-ramp. And as you get further up the on-ramp, she's going to want a lot more pressure. So it's not even that the pressure you're using is quote unquote wrong or bad. It's just too soon. She's not ready yet. Yeah. So, cause women can take a lot of pressure. Like the pussy is strong as fuck. It can take, it can take a lot, but not when it's not ready, when it's not ready. Like there's no kindling, there's no fire there. And so this pressure at this point just really hurts. Um, so that's one thing that I sort of go over in the course and sort of teach my guys is spend time outside her clothes. Like, you know, spend time making out all of the time you're spending is an investment in the encounter. Touch her really lightly over her panties, over her clitoris without sort of penetrating right away. That's, I feel like one of the things that I'm constantly cringing at in porn is like, ow, ah, I just feel yeah. like, oh God, that, that would hurt. That would hurt. And she is, you know, moaning because it's a, it's a porn video. It's not real. Right. And so and it, they're filming the porn to with, with the, well, I, I don't know. I'm guessing, but they're filming the porn with the user in mind, right? And and who's the consumer? The consumer. The consumer is a guy, right? And so they're gonna they're gonna be like, all right, what what are guys turn ons? You know, they want rough fucking you know double penetration. So let's let's bring in someone and we'll do that. And you know, it's gonna be an eight minute video or whatever because who has time to jerk off longer than that? So that's what you watch and that's what you kind of ingrain into your psyche and yep. and that's sex and that's normal and that's and that's fine for what yeah. it is for entertainment i'm not anti-porn mm-hmm. i have a variety of opinions about it but i'm not anti-porn my my issue is if you are a man who wants to turn on women if you are a man who wants women to experience a lot of pleasure with you 
that's problematic for you to watch that and think it works. That's the problem. It's not that porn itself is a problem. It's that you think you've got this manual that's accurate and it's completely inaccurate. And that's problematic because the combination of you think this thing's working and she's in pain is a terrible combination. If it was neutral, that would be one thing. But for a lot of women, it's like, ah, like I'm kind of just like hoping this will be over soon, which is mm-hmm. like not at all what the men I work with want. They want their woman to be no, you... want her to feel good. They want her to yeah, feel course. good. They want her to be turned on. They want her to experience pleasure. They want her to want more sex. You know, that's one of the, the things that I'm, you know, passionate about is if you, if you, if you have really good sex with a woman, she's going to want to see you again. You know, yep. it's going to, and it's, it's almost like lubrication for the relationship when you're having good sex. And when she's feeling a lot of pleasure with you, you know, it, it just helps with the connection with whatever tensions you have in the relationship. There's something really physically bonding and emotionally nourishing about good sex. And it's, it's sort of the opposite with bad sex. It's like, uh, that didn't, it didn't feel good. You know, it's not, it's not working. And I don't know how to tell them. And there's just all of these knots around it. Um, but I do want to finish with this last point. Cause I think it's also kind of important, which is the last thing women talked about in terms of not speaking up was they were afraid that the man would say, wow, you're really slutty. And we talked about this a little yesterday in our episode, but I think that we think that we as a culture think that we're further along sexually than we actually are. Um, I thought this woman's comment was poignant. She said, I've always had an easier time talking about and doing new things with a fling rather than my partner. Cause I don't care what my fling thinks but I don't want my partner to think I'm a trashy whore. Mm. I don't want my partner to think I'm a trashy whore. So it's not just that women are reticent about speaking up when something isn't working. It's also, it's a little, it's a little scary to speak up yeah. about what is working. Cause I, I don't want to lose your respect. I don't mm-hmm. want to lose your respect. I don't want you to think that I'm a slut or a whore. And I'm using those words in context here. Cause I don't, I don't really believe those things about women who have sex or women who are open about wanting sex, open about wanting different kinds of sex. There is a risk factor that I've experienced in my own sex life. And this is what I do for a living of I'm scared to say, like, I want you to fuck me doggy style because I'm like, oh, shit, he's going to think I'm trashy. Yeah, he's going to think I'm trashy. He's going to he's going to lose respect for me. He's not going to want me anymore because I'm tainted or whatever it is. And that's not a conscious fear. It's not something that I actually believe, but these are deep like patterns that have been ingrained in us since, you know, middle school, you know, since for a really long time, since we've been taught how to be a girl or how to be a woman and what a good girl is versus not. So essentially, um, what I came across when I was asking people about talking about sex, because I told you, I asked people, you know, what do you wish you could have told a previous partner about sex? This, this, I call it the divide. This is what happens. Men are over here and they're saying, I need her to tell me what she likes, what she needs. Tell me what feels good and what doesn't. She won't tell me how to be better. This one guy said, what am I doing wrong? Show me how to do it right or how you like it. Take my hand, take my penis, show me. Tell me while having sex so I won't stop or move. And then you have women on the other side and they, and when you ask them, what do you wish you could have told a previous partner? They say things like, about my likes and needs, basically everything that are my needs, how I wanted to touch or be touched, be more specific about what I want and more important, what I don't, how to please me. So we have like 
both sides wanting to know. And then this gap in between that I call the divide. Mm -hmm. And so essentially what I tell men is we really need your help. We really, really need your help to cross the divide because it's really scary for us to do it alone. And the whole first part of my course is teaching men how to cross the divide, which is essentially bringing it up first and being the one to invite her to say proactively, like, listen, I really want this to feel good for you. I always want to know if something isn't working or something hurts. And I think even just saying that, like if, if a man said that to me, my body would relax because I know that he knows what my past has been. Like he, I'm like, oh, wow. He knows that a lot of the sex has hurt for me in the past. Like he's aware of that. Holy mm-hmm. shit. Like already my mind is blown. Like I always want to know if something hurts or something isn't working. Cause I want this to feel good for you. It would have me feel like, oh my God, I don't have to do it all. Like I don't have to lead the whole thing. I don't have to, cause yes, women need to advocate for themselves and they need to speak up for their needs. And it's fucking hard and we're yeah. really scared. So when you help it feels like I, I can just, I can relax. And that's the whole thing is if you want a turned on woman, you got to have a relaxed woman. Yes. <laughs> like a woman can't even orgasm if she's cold. If she's physically cold, she physiologically cannot come to orgasm. So when, when she's not relaxed, she can't come. So if you actually want her to have pleasure, then this has to be part of it. And that sort of extension and invitation is like step one of kind of, essentially what you're doing is creating a safe, safe sexual culture in, in that relationship of, I will always want to know. I want to know. I want to know. And if you want to know, like you got to back that up because if you're, if you're using your hands, if you're, you know, starting to rub her down there and she's like, how could you like back off a little bit, like a little bit less pressure, you can't start sulking. Cause if you said, right. And, and so one of the things I'll tell my men is if you want to be totally honest, you can say, Ooh, okay. Yeah. That, that stings a little to hear. And I'm really glad you told me. So you yeah. can acknowledge that it's hard to hear, but you got to also acknowledge like, thanks for telling me. I thanks do really want to know. I want right. to know it's important to me that, that this works, right. That we yeah. feel good, that you feel good and that we feel good. And I think that's the other sort of, um, I think it's so important too saying it kind of the first time. That's one of the things that that I teach my clients, I have a sex guide. And in one of the first things when you're, you know, licking her or rubbing her, you can literally ask, do you like it like this? Or do you like it like this, mm-hmm. like this or like that? And there's sometimes there's a, that fear as a guy, you're going to get some pushback, like just do it, you know, that sort of thing like that, you know, you, you mm-hmm. never want to hear that. And you also don't want to be like a scientist down there being like, so do you like it like this? Or do you like it like that? Because then it's, you know, you kill the... <laughs> the sexiness of it. So you have to find that middle ground, you know, being able to, to speak in a way that's, that's sexy and, and a turn on and getting the information um, and making sure or hoping that they don't have a, like, you should know, why are you asking me sort of reaction? I think that's, I'm, I'm curious what the, if you had the answers on the other side from the men, what yeah. their fears were. Cause that's, that's the kind of the one I, I come across all the time that I've experienced is like, there's that, there's that um, anxiety of even doing that because yeah. you're just supposed to know or That's you're just supposed to, be able to feel her and be able to tell. Yeah. That's what I've seen men say repeatedly is 
I feel like I should know how to do this already. That somehow it's, it means I'm less of a man if I don't know how to go down on her well or how to finger her well or how to use my cock well. Therefore, I won't ask. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Which is kind of insane, but kind of makes sense at the same yeah. time. Like, and, and again, I think there's this, uh, I think it's really hard for men because there's this assumption of, you know, there's a lot in our media about the shame of a man that can't make a woman come. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's almost, there's an identity for men around. I have to make her come. She has to have an orgasm or I suck at sex. Yeah. And so sure. I, I, it, this shows up <laughs> research sometimes with women of, you know, sometimes I just wish like there was a little less pressure on me to have an orgasm. Like I'm not going to come every night. You know, this is, both women and men said this in the research of it's just not going to happen tonight. Like, I just, I can just tell you, like, I don't know. I'm tired. Like shit's going on in my world. Like it's just not going to happen. But I feel like if I don't come, he's going to feel like a failure. So I, there, so I'm like, we're trying to get there and it's just, it's not relaxing. And, and I think that a lot of that is, it's not just that he wants her to experience pleasure. It's that he feels like he will be a failure or he's not good at sex or something. If she doesn't have an orgasm right. and that expectations, which kill all desire, you know, it's, it's yeah. And the flow, the flow, because the flow of a sexual encounter is not always, it's not, it doesn't always lead to orgasm. There are lots of pleasurable sexual encounters that don't. In fact, there's a practice. I don't know if you've heard of Carezza. You've heard of Carezza, K-A-R-E-Z-A, Carezza. It's a, it's essentially a form. You could say it's a form of Tantra, although I'm not sure that's entirely accurate, but it's a sexual practice where you intentionally don't ejaculate either. Okay. Yeah. Your partner comes, neither partner comes to orgasm all the way. And what people say is they practice Carezza and the next day they have energy. They they're able to focus. They have just like, they feel like they're supercharged humans. So there's, there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff to play with around sexuality outside of just the, like, the porn script, like I'm always telling people, don't follow the porn script. The porn script is like, you know, I go, I go down on her. She goes down on me. We fuck. And, and I, and I have an orgasm. I ejaculate on her boobs. That's, that's it. That's, that's it. Yeah. I've actually been with men. This is such a weird experience multiple times where I can feel them. They're kind of like with me present. And then I can feel them kind of check out. And I'm like, oh, he's, he's in a porn video right now. Like he's physically with me, but I can tell like, he just, he just left, like, he's not really here. Uh, and, um, I've never told a partner that, but I can sense it. I can feel right. like you stopped, you stopped being with me and, um, yeah, it's not a great feeling actually. And so the point is that. Yeah, I can imagine. It, you know, <laughs> I mean, but I, I think I've, I've felt that. I mean, I've slept with some porn stars, um, and I've, <laughs> I've, I've felt something similar on the other side, being the guy. Yeah. It's not great. Yeah. It's strange. It's strange. Right. Because the, mm-hmm. they're still physically there and you're still having sex. You're still doing something, but you're like a little bit like, where did you Whoa. go? And, and right. interestingly, I think that's very similar to dissociation, which mm-hmm. I'm sure many of your male listeners, because there's just, there's so much sexual trauma on both sides of women and men. Often some, a trauma survivor will dissociate during sex. And you'll be like, where did they go? Like they're, they're, they seem like they're here, but they feel like they're not here. That's yeah. a sign that can be a sign of, of trauma and dissociation. And it's, 
it's strange. It's a strange sensation. Or I know sometimes this will come up in my research of men will say, well, she's just a starfish. She just lays Mm -hmm. there. And, um, a lot of times that's actually a sign of trauma that there's, that it's a person who their body wasn't really safe. It wasn't a safe place. And so there's a way during sex that they just kind of leave their body. They're, they're right. dissociating in that moment. And it's frustrating for male partners. Cause it's like, I, I'm, I want to connect with you. Like I'm trying to connect with you. I want you to be here and she's not there. And mm-hmm. I think that, I think it can also be an easy place to blame someone of like, you should be able to do this or you should be present with me. Um, when actually it's, it's good to be curious, genuinely curious and, and slow down and have a real kind of conversation about that and just know that can be a sign of trauma. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, I read a book a while back called the multi-orgasmic man going back to what you said about Carezza. And, um, I was, I was not able to, to get to that sort of, you know, on a Jedi level where you can have an orgasm without actually ejaculating, which, you know, I I've met some guys who claim that they can. Um, and, but yeah, I, I kind of, they've all basically, and in the book, um, said that their orgasms are way more intense when they have them and that they, uh, feel energized and recharged. And yeah, a lot of research on it. And I think Mm -hmm. that, um, the, Eastern traditions, particularly China has done a lot of research and just has a lot of lineage teachings on that, on some people call it semen retention or ejaculation control, but the energetic orgasm that you're describing is really, really good for you. It's good for your nails. It's good for your skin. It's good for your heart. It's just like really rejuvenating for men in particular, especially as they age, because right. your life force, your chi is, is in your, in, in your ejaculate essentially. And it's, it's not just physical, but energetic you're depleted after. Oh yeah. When you, when you have an orgasm as a guy, you feel like you're, right. you know, kind of died. I slept with a guy for a while who, who practiced non-ejaculatory orgasm or semen retention. And it was so funny because have you heard of edging? Do your listeners know about mm-hmm. edging? Okay. So you get close and then you come back down, you get close. So he would practice edging, but it was always really exciting sleeping with a partner, like sleeping with a partner for him was more exciting than being by himself. Big surprise. So we we would have sex, we would have intercourse. And when he got really excited, he would jump off. He would like pull out of me, jump off the bed and hop around the room. Cause he was like moving the energy and then he'd come back and fuck me some more. And then he'd jump off sometime, not all the time, but it was like, it was getting too close and he needed to do something physical to, to kind of move the energy around. And I think that guy only ejaculated maybe once a year. And and a lot of it was because, you know, he talked about his focus and his energy and his drive in life. He wanted, he wanted that chi. He wanted it to be able to basically penetrate the world instead of, you know, but I think that's, that's, that's pretty. How was that for you when, when he was, um, Oh, it was great. he, He was, he was very present and he was very with me. And, and that was, I think probably, you know, in terms of the positive side of the research, right. And the the 10% of men that were really, really good in bed. um, That was the biggest thing that women talked about was presence 
presence, physically being with me, putting attention on me. I felt beautiful. I felt sexy. And what was great about the research that I've been able to share with, you know, my clients and everything is I think it was less than 2% of women talked about a man having a good body. That was not important. Uh, Less than 5% talked about him staying hard for a long time. That was not important. And less than 3% talked about penis size. So the things I I think men (laughs) are important about sex. If you ask women about the men who are best in bed, don't even rank. Like they're not even on the fucking list, but (laughs) presence, I felt sexy with him. I felt him with me huge. Another thing that women talked about was, um, he was really good at putting attention on me throughout the day. So it wasn't just sex that night, but it was, you know, like, uh, like sexting or flirting or somehow having me feel special. A lot of women talked about, I felt special. Um, I was with a guy and I came over and he was like, I knew you were coming over. So I cleaned my place and I was really touched. And there was a part of me that was like, that's such a turn on. And I know this sounds weird, but it, I walked into his bedroom and his bed was made really well. And I was like, oh, you're a grown ass man. You're grown ass. <laughs> like that was a turn on, right? So things that men, I don't think, think would be a turn on for women are actually kind of a turn on. And the feeling of being desired as a woman is such a turn on. And that's what I work with a lot of my clients on because they're kind of like, a lot of them are nice guys and they don't want to make, make her uncomfortable. They don't want to make her uncomfortable. They don't want to make her feel unsafe. So they hold back their attraction. They hold back their turn on. They kind of repress themselves. And, and that's actually holding them back in terms of her repressing on. her. Cause then yeah, she exactly. Cause Cause it's when like I a two way street. Yeah. Exactly. And when I feel wanted, you know, by, by my partner, then, then I'm like more ready to go. Yeah. And so if he's holding back that, that desire, I'm, I'm a little bit like a light switch where I'm like still in the off position, right. I'm not actually turned on in the same, in the same way, right. You know, the researchers will talk about interruptive fantasies that a lot of men will have interruptive fantasies, um, which is they're just doing something. They're going about their work in the day. And all of a sudden they have a sexual fantasy just interrupts it. Or they see someone in a coffee shop and they imagine bending her over the counter. Right. And, and women experience much more responsive desire. So we don't tend to have interruptive fantasies in the same way. We tend to be responsive to energy mm. coming at us. So kind of like if that slow buildup you were talking about. Yeah. So like if the microwave energy, versus the oven yes. analogy, if you've heard that yeah, before. Exactly. Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if we don't feel the energy coming, coming at us, coming towards us. And it's not, and it doesn't need to be aggressive, but just like, I've been thinking about you all day, right? Like a text from, from the man I'm seeing, like, I've been thinking about you all day. I'm like, Oh, I feel that in my pussy. Like I feel a little zing, feel a little zing. And Mm -hmm. that, that sense of sex starting way before we are physically together showed up in the research again and again and again and again, a lot of women talked about the men that were best in bed were had sort of their attention on her for longer than just that one encounter. And when I first, great. Oh, I was just going to, I think it's, it's really helpful as a man to think, you know, sex starts way before, before kissing, before everything. Like you can think of sex starting literally when you're, you know, with the text you send earlier that day, before you come home, if you guys live together or, you know, the sex starts kind of at like the beginning of the date, like actually the the physical stuff may have not started, but that process has started and to stop thinking about it as when she takes off her panties. 
Exactly. Exactly. Cause that's the build. Cause a lot of men are like, Holy shit, 45 minutes. What am I going to do for 45 minutes? That's a really long time. (laughs) Keep trying to remind them. It's not just the time between the sheets. It's the whole thing. Right. So (laughs) if she's in the kitchen and you come up and hug her from behind and kind of nuzzle her neck and then walk away, it's not, you're not like, I want you like, let's go fuck right now. It's just, I see you. You're beautiful. That's it. That like a little, a couple of those are going to feel a lot more inviting. And, and that was something that, that showed up too, was just that sense of physical closeness or affection being part of our lives instead of he only touches me when he wants sex. That, that seemed to be a pretty common thing that women would talk about. And then it was like, I, I get resentful of like, I feel like you're not actually touching me because you think I'm beautiful or because you appreciate me or because you want to give me affection, but because you want something from me. And so mm. that sense of just general sort of nourishment all the time that's coming, that's coming from him kind of opens her body of like, oh, oh, you know, now I want to go over there because I feel beautiful. I feel appreciated. I feel seen, you know, as a, as a woman, as a sexual being, instead of just a way for you to get off. And I think that's a pattern that couples can fall into sometimes of, yeah. I, I need to feel seen and valued for my pussy to open all the way instead of just, I feel a little bit like a sex toy you live with. <laughs> that's right. Not, <laughs> not the same thing. So, I mean, hopefully people listening are realizing that like, or at least it's, it should be pretty obvious what guys can change right away. Cause I'm sure most are making the mistake of just too hard, too rough, too soon, you know, all of that. But what if you're already in a relationship and you know, you're experiencing some of these problems that you mentioned and maybe some of that time has passed and it is awkward to kind of go back and have that conversation. Do you have anything or advice for how they can kind of bridge that gap? Yeah, I think, um, I think one, well, so there's a couple things. One is depending on how, how entrenched the patterns are and how much is going on in your relationship. I'm a pretty strong advocate of getting a mentor. I know all of the conscious couples I know have a mentor and, and by mentor, I mean either a sex therapist or an attachment therapist or, uh, or a coach, a sex coach. It doesn't really matter. But when our stuff is coming up <laughs> with our partner, a lot of it's deep attachment stuff. It's really hard for both of us to stay conscious and address what's happening. Meaning one of us is, is it's one of us is overwhelmed. So we're either stonewalling or we're checking out something's going on, getting a third nervous system in the room, getting someone else to hold the space and help you be able to be vulnerable with each other is pretty invaluable. So I would say, depending on how, even if you're, you know, I'm about to launch a course for couples that's about all this stuff. It's about polarity and it's about attachment and it's about all this stuff. And it's not for couples that are in crisis. It's for couples that want to grow and couples that want to know how to prevent issues down the line. So it's yeah. getting getting a third party involved in your relationship doesn't have you don't have to wait until you're in crisis. I guess I just want to make sure, sure. That it's clear. It's kind of like um no, I, I wish more people had that 
sort of reality belief system because it's like you if you want to do well in business you typically hire a business because you don't wait till you're going out of business right <laughs> or if you do hopefully you have it so it's the same thing with the relationship with sex like you having that that consultant that coach you can talk about these things it's so important even seeing a therapist i know some really interesting couples that start they started seeing a therapist like the day they started dating and it's like yep. great awesome which is idea. super yeah. smart because I think one of the barriers when I've talked to couples is, God, how are we going to find someone that both of us trust? And and so if you're proactive about it and you, you know, the, one of the intentions of my course for couples is to support couples now. So that down the line, if they're having issues, they already know and trust someone. They, they, they've both already had experience with me and they've, they've learned something positive from it. So it feels more, more easier. Cause when you're, when you're in crisis, it's like the idea of finding someone is overwhelming. The idea of finding someone, both of you are going to like can feel overwhelming. It's just that, that friction, that barrier can be why you don't get some help. Oh, you don't do it. And, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, so anyway, so I would just say, depending on where you're at, even if you're not in crisis, it's a great idea to just get someone else that you find trustworthy involved. Um, yeah. And then I think that the, the sex conversation I'm, I'm a big fan of the man leading and saying like, listen, I want to make sure that we're both like vibrant here, that we have like a sex life we love. And I, I, I feel like maybe there are things that you need that I haven't provided or, you know, things that you want that you haven't told me about. And I just want to let you know, I want to know, I want to know. And not that you have to tell me right this instant, because for some partners that can feel overwhelming. Like, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure what to say, but you're sort of laying the groundwork and then repeatedly inviting her in, inviting her in or inviting her out. And that's what I've seen works mm-hmm. is it's not a one and done. Cause a lot of men I talk to a lot of married men in particular, I'll say, have you talked to your wife about this? Have you talked to your wife about sex? And he'll say, yes. And I'll say, well, what did you say? And he'll say, what do you, what do you want in bed? Or what do you like in bed? That's he'll have asked his partner one time, like a question, like a question once that's like, what do you want? And again, for, for a lot of women, that's sort of like, oh, I, I don't even necessarily know exactly what I want. or how to say it. Right. Cause like what I'm talking about, for example, of, I want your presence. I want to feel yeah. you here with me. A lot of women know they want that, but they don't know how to say it. Totally. So, so they get overwhelmed. They say, I don't, I don't know. And then he's like, yeah, I talked to her about it. <laughs> it's like, no, <laughs> that's not. <laughs> or maybe she says that and he's like, how the fuck do I do that? Yeah, <laughs> I thought sure. I was here. I mean, yeah. it's me. <laughs> totally. Totally. Right. Exactly. And um, yeah, that's another thing I've sort of told men about is listen, if you're going to learn about sex, try to learn about sex from women in addition to learning about sex from men, if, if you're a man who has sex with women, make sure that you have a variety of, of, of mentors and places you're learning about and make sure some of them are, are women. Because I think that the, um, like you said, the porn industry is overwhelmingly run by men for men, mostly, um, straight men, mostly hetero men, not entirely, but, that's the niche, right? <laughs> you know, it's kind of like we look at movies and we think, oh, women are this way. It's like, no, those movies were produced by and written by primarily white men. So mm-hmm. the, the the things you're seeing, the interactions that, you know, it's just like, that's not what would actually happen in real life, but we all do it. And we all do it. Women do it too, because we're seeing this 
presented as what's true. And the truth is a lot of our entertainment industry hasn't been very inclusive, including the porn industry. So there's all these perspectives that have been left out. And then we're kind of, all of us are sort of repeating the ones that have been included, right? We're all doing it. Like a lot of women feel like a failure if they don't come. Cause it's like, well, I have to, otherwise he'll, he'll feel like a failure or this is how we do sex. He goes down on me. I go down on him. Then we fuck. And then he comes on my, on my tits. Like this is, you know, women are doing right. it too. It's not just men. A lot of us have sure. internalized that as, as normal or as <clears throat> this is the way sex happens instead of what does my body actually want to do right now? Like that's a novelty. Maybe tonight yeah, it wants to do this. Tomorrow night it doesn't want to do that. You know, it can, doesn't have to. It doesn't have to be that. Because I think that's another thing is men ejaculating is like that's the end of sex. Like they, you know, the money shot. Like this is now we've, you know, we've we've done the thing. Like we're 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 done. And I've and I've, worked, <laughs> I've worked with a lot of couples where the man's dealing with delayed ejaculation or premature ejaculation or something else is going on and they both sort of feel like, well, we're a failure because we're not doing the thing that you're supposed to do and ending the encounter when you're supposed to. And it's like, let's just get out of that box and just have a good time. How about we have a sexual encounter where both of you just feel good and whatever yeah. happens, happens. And it's <laughs> it's hard to do that. It's hard to break that frame. I'm still in that frame yeah. half the time I'm having sex. I'm like, oh, duh, 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 and then we get here and now we can go to sleep instead right. of like following the energy of what's actually authentic in the moment or what feels good. And and I think that's another thing, like men feel like they have to stay hard the whole time. Like the truth is like you, you get hard, you get soft, you get hard, you get soft. Most men are going through a kind of wave during a sexual encounter and that's normal. And that's also sort of cut out of porn, right? You don't really see that in that's porn. That's definitely not in porn. <laughs> You're fired if you lose your, <laughs> or they're yeah. pumping them full of like uh, Viagra. So, yeah, that's yeah. so common. I just interviewed a woman porn director on my podcast and she said, I probably the majority, probably more. Yeah. The majority of male performers now are taking Viagra. So oh, yeah. it's completely I interviewed a, guy, a porn star recently too, a, a buddy of mine. He was one of the biggest porn stars in, in Russia. And um, he was like touting his horn because he was one of the few guys on the set that didn't need like constant injections into his dick to keep him like they are injecting it, like not even just taking Viagra, like hardcore stuff over there. I don't know. Oh, I didn't know <laughs> so, that. Yeah. that sounds painful and dangerous and, and totally like ruined sex. Like for him, like he was so interesting. It, um, Cause he, like he, it just kind of ruined sex for him. Like he just didn't care. It felt like a job, but whole That's other conversation. Bad. Yeah. yeah. Thought- Hardy is the interview. If anyone wants to check that out and listen to it, but so yeah, it's, you know, once you get paid to do something and it's no longer just for pleasure that can open up a whole can of worms, of course. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. I think also the, you know, back to that question of if you're in a relationship, I think, I think that, you know, eliciting your partner's fantasies or like edgier, edgier stuff can be, also really inspiring. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that a lot of times people are really afraid to share their fantasies because this is, this is actually really interesting. What I've repeatedly seen is that men, male fantasies, men who fantasize usually will only fantasize about things they would do in real life. So yes. I'll talk to men who are like, Oh, I never fantasize about my best friend's girlfriend because she's off limits. I would never fantasize about her. That's not going to happen. And most of their fantasies are, you know, kind of doable, if that makes sense. Right. Right. <laughs> Women's fantasies are 
fucking crazy town. Like they will have very elaborate fantasies with like multiple characters. Um, sometimes it'll involve people from real life, but if you ask them, a lot of them would say, Oh, I would never do that in real life. This is this right. other category of so okay. interesting. I've, I've heard so that too. Interesting. I've yeah. seen it repeatedly and there's a book called my secret garden by yeah, Nancy Friday. And mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty good example of like, Holy shit. Like these are right. like crazy <laughs> stories and right. Like, you know, just very elaborate, a lot of characters, lots of going on. Um, if you look at the research, right. Rape fantasy is, is a, a top fantasy for women. Would they want to get raped in real life? Fuck no. But the fantasy of it, I think has to do with the concept of surrender, right. That I'm, I get to let go. I don't have to do anything. I'm just, I'm just being done too. And that can be very erotic, but it wouldn't be what that woman would want in real life at all. So what I, where I'm going with this is I think sharing fantasies as a couple can be really bonding and you should know going in, you might hear things that surprise you. And it doesn't mean that she would do that in real life. It's right. her fantasy and it's very vulnerable, really vulnerable to share fantasies. I have a lot of cheating fantasies. I would never cheat on a partner, but for some reason it, because it's taboo, my unconscious is like, this is so hot. I would be very scared to share that with a partner. Cause I would be afraid he would think that I would cheat on him. And not yeah. the case. It's just, right. this is my erotic zone, right? This is the part of me that you know, cause a lot of our unconscious stuff comes up in that zone, the liminal zone, you know, the it's, it's not, you know, in our conscious control. Um, so I think that can be very bonding, especially for long-term partners. Cause it might be anything that's edgy or vulnerable for the two of you to share is always going to lead to hotter sex because that, that sort of anticipatory feeling or that like, Oh my God, is he going to judge me? Or is she going to judge yeah. me? Like, I'm scared to share this will build connection if each person is able to hold that. And that, that definitely leads to hotter sex because there's more, oh, sure. the, yeah, risk. There's more the risk, exactly the risk. And then the, the holding of the risk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's important to, uh, to remember going into that conversation about fantasy, like yours is probably going to be something you want to do. And hers is going to be just something batshit crazy that she's never going to do, but at least we know that now. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Super it's valuable. Special, it's a special part of us to share with a partner. Yeah. It's, a, it's sacred, I guess, is what I'm trying to express. Like, it's important that that's held safely. And the first time I, I experienced that, we were, it was actually in like a sex workshop. People weren't having sex, but it was about sex. And it was both men and women. And people went around and shared their fantasies. And at the end, the instructor was like, Did you realize that all of the women's fantasies were things that no one would ever do. And all the men's were like, yeah, go do that right now. (laughs) (laughs) There was one involving like barn animals and like a rocket ship all in the same story. Like, how do you get there? I don't know. But (laughs) pirate ship and then office boardroom, like, (laughs) okay. Yeah. Well, Melly, it's been so cool to to hear all your insights and and research. Where can people find out about like your sex course and everything you do and your podcast? Yeah. So um my my website is melaniecurtain.com and it's C-U-R-T-I-N. Um, so no A in my last name. And the Dear Men podcast can be found anywhere podcasts are. Uh, I think the episode with you will drop either this Friday or next Friday, so people can listen to that. 
And the sex course that I teach is called Please Her in Bed. And that's on my website, or you can go to pleaseherinbed.com. And uh, it's 97, but I made you a code called leverage. So cool. if you use that code, it'll drop it to 69. Nice. I yeah. like it. <laughs> <laughs> the best number. <laughs> Guys, definitely go grab that. That's, uh, I mean, for 69, you got to do it. So, <laughs> well. Melly, thanks so much. So yeah, much fun talking. Fun. Hey guys, I talked about my course, Please Her in Bed, on this episode and just wanted to remind you that if you're a podcast listener, you can use the code DEARMEN, which will drop the price from 97 to 69. That's DEARMEN, all one word, DEARMEN. And you can find the course at pleaseherinbed.com. Hey.